At FIE, we're not just students and faculty. We're not only learners and lecturers. We are expanding minds, expanding futures. We're redefining the classroom. We are life-changing. Eye-opening. We are a community driven by our values that wants you, you, yes, you, to join. Hello and welcome to our final episode in the first season in the Student Global Leadership Podcast Series. I'm Victor Mellers with FIE and today I'm pleased to reintroduce Eve Alcock and her session titled Empowering Women as Leaders. We first met Eve on the Changing Leadership panel in episode 3 but she also presented her own individual presentation, which was a conference favourite. A key disclaimer here, there are three one-minute breaks starting at the 18-minute mark, which allowed conference participants to participate in the activities as part of the discussion. If you want to skip ahead and don't need the whole 60 seconds, that's fine. You can just go ahead and, and fast forward about one minute. Here's Eve. Hi, my name is Eve. I'm currently an analyst at the Clean Air Fund, but I spent the two years prior to that leading the Students' Union at the University of Bath as the SU president. This session is about empowering women as leaders. Um, it's called Empowering Women as Leaders, a recipe for success. Uh, so let's get started. So this session has three overriding aims. Number one is to identify predictive factors in leadership emergence. Uh, number two is to nurture those predictive factors. And number three is to empower women and also non-binary people to pursue leadership positions. I want to note for any men viewing that hopefully this will also be enlightening for you, especially in being able to spot areas where you can be an active ally to women and non-binary people. So before we begin, a little bit of background, I guess. Um, I originally created this presentation in 2019 for students at the University of Bath. And when I looked at it again, I noticed that my emphasis was overridingly on women women to overcome existing barriers rather than empowering them to dismantle those barriers um, and so I was putting quite a lot of the onus on women to change or navigate the system rather than uh, putting a highlight on how the system was oppressive in the first place. Um, so what I've done is altered to uh, talk about this in a positive frame about predictive factors to leadership emergence rather than barriers. Um, so removing the responsibility on women themselves to overcome the barriers. Um, and like I said, for men watching, hopefully you'll be able to help dismantle some of those barriers as well. Um, it's also worth noting a lot of leadership research has been done by men um, and is based on a male westernized version of leadership. So um, I love this quote from a book that I'm reading called Mediocre at the moment. Uh, it says we've all been instructed to value and strive toward the white male version of success. And so I guess I'm here today to say redefine leadership for yourselves um, and hopefully uh, this presentation will provide some practical advice to help you on your way to doing that. So first, a little bit of um, context to set the scene of the predictive factors. As I said, my experience of leadership comes from my two years as president, um, and I might come across as quite confident now, but that wasn't always the way. 
So um, when I was thinking of running for an officer position in the Students' Union, I was originally going to go for community over president because I wasn't sure whether I could go straight for president. And I thought maybe it would be more realistic to go for community first and then president the year after. Um, and I had a conversation with uh, one of my male friends, actually, who was working at NUS at the time. Um, and I was saying, yeah, I'm not, sh not sure how confident I am to go straight for president. And he looked at me and he said, Eve, of all the people that talk to me about wanting to run for president of their students' unions, the people that always doubt their ability to do so are women. Um, and that gave me a massive kick up the arse <laughs> um, to, to go for the thing that I wanted and not let my self-confidence um, kind of hinder me on that. When I was in office, I definitely experienced things that I wouldn't have experienced if I was a man, um, comments on what I was wearing or makeup and stuff. Um, I was told in uh, all sincerity by actually a guy that for all intents and purposes was, was an ally most of the time, um, that I, he could see I was working my little socks off, which I just don't think would be said to uh, a man in the same position. Um, often, for women, I think when they experience rage or anger or frustration, um, because we're conditioned not to express those things, um, the way it manifests is sometimes just to cry or get very emotional. And so if I was in a meeting where um, I was really frustrated by something, I would start to look and sound like I was on the verge of tears, which um, in certain scenarios, I think made people perceive me as a sort of emotional or hysterical woman who couldn't deal with the stresses of the job. Um, and I think women experience a heightened scrutiny compared to men. Um, and I definitely experienced that in my role on social media. Um, and just this week, you'll have seen Matt Hancock's handling of COVID contracts was found to be unlawful in court. And yet, actually, the majority of the media coverage was still about Meghan Markle. Um, and obviously there's a heavy uh, angle of racism on, on that as well. Uh, so just another example of that double standard um, between men and women when it comes to scrutiny as well. And so that's sort of, I guess, the context that I am speaking from, my experience. Um, and so hopefully this presentation will help us uh, navigate that system, but also just be unapologetically ourselves um, and redefine leadership. Um, how we want to. So women are often damned if they do and damned if they don't. Um, leadership competency is usually associated with stereotypically masculine behaviour. So when women adopt stereotypically masculine traits, they're seen as unfeminine. Um, so if you take Angela Merkel's leadership style and presentation, for example, stereotypically uh, masculine presentation, she wouldn't be considered as feminine as such. Um, stereotypically feminine behaviour, on the other hand, is often associated with incompetence. So you might remember this video of um, AOC dancing on a rooftop while she was at university, um, and it caused sort of meltdown amongst some traditional conservative men in, in the US. Um, the idea that someone could simultaneously do that um, and be very sort of feminine in her presentation and her dancing and also be a serious and powerful and assertive representative. Um, furthermore, the same behaviour presented in a man and in a woman is often evaluated more positively when it's attributed to a man than a female. So 
For example, what's considered strong for a man might be called domineering or overly aggressive for a woman. And you might have seen the a video of Taylor Swift talking about how this language plays out in the music industry. If a man makes a decision about his career direction, uh, he's called strategic. When a woman does it, she is referred to as calculated. So again, that double standard uh, cropping up in, in the way that women are and lead. Historically, again, research has shown that success and likability positively correlated for men, but negatively correlated for women. So the more successful a man gets, the more likable he becomes, the more successful a woman gets, the less likable she becomes. Um, so it feels kind of like the odds are stacked against us, but things are changing and um, there's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't be gunning for what you want to do. So what are the factors then that predict leadership emergence and how can we nurture them? So we're going to look at attitude, self-confidence and network as key practical steps to leadership. Um, and research shows that these factors predict leadership emergence. Because of existing societal sexism and misogyny, Factors like attitude and self-confidence have been found to be more prevalent in men, um, but thankfully they are factors that anybody, regardless of gender, can nurture and build. So for each factor, we'll go through them one by one, I'm going to give you one minute to do an activity that helps nurture that factor. Um, so you're going to need to entertain me whilst I give you the minute to do each one, um, and please do them where, where you are because that way you'll start on that journey of nurturing. So to do those things, uh, you'll need a notebook nearby, a pen and your phone. So make sure you have those things and then you can fully engage um, in the activities to nurture each of these factors over the next 25 minutes or so. So let's start with attitude. It feels like a weird word, but by attitude, we just mean whether or not we can envision ourselves as a leader. Um, and a lot of that comes down to representation. So research by Kolb in 1999 indicated that attitude towards leadership, so whether we envision ourselves as a leader, was a stronger predictor of leadership emergence than masculinity. So society tells us that leadership equates to seniority, leading a country, being a politician or the CEO of a company. And given that world leaders and politicians and CEOs have historically been not just predominantly male, uh, but predominantly white, cisgendered, uh, straight and middle class, it's no wonder um, if we don't fit into those boxes, we find it less easy to see ourselves as leaders. So that attitude is less prevalent in us. From birth, we're given dolls to play with um, when we're kids and we consume media that depicts traditional gender roles of women. Um, the UK government just recently, you might have seen, published a stay at home advert for COVID-19 and the figures in the house were all women doing chores or looking after children so that kind of messaging is everywhere and whether we see ourselves as leaders comes from having women role models who are also leading that we can look up to and follow in our footsteps because it helps if we see someone like us in that position so for the next 60 seconds some music's going to play i want you to write down on your notepad who are your role models and answer the questions, why do you look up to them? And what makes them good at what they do? 
do. these women that you've written down on your notepads they all started off exactly where you are now exactly where you are now um, and they'll have had role models of their own to aspire to um, and there's clearly a desire within all of you guys watching uh, to be some kind of leader otherwise you wouldn't be here um, at this conference or at this session and there's no reason why you can't be like these people um, and you'll also end up being a role model for the next generation as, as well. So hold those people in your heads on your journey um, because that will help bring out that attitude, that envisioning of you as a leader or where these people are now. So, okay, we're imagining ourselves as leaders. That increases the chance that we'll uh, merge as leaders, but there's also another ingredient which will increase the likelihood even further and that's self-confidence. So in Kolb's regression model, uh, if you add self-confidence to attitude, it substantially improves the model's ability to predict leadership emergence. Uh, when it comes to self-confidence, for me, honestly, the best advice I ever got was fake it till you make it, which sounds kind of counterintuitive, but is the best way to kind of propel yourself forward to becoming super self-confident. Um, and you don't have to feel confident all the time. I think there's a myth that leaders are always confident, um, which actually dehumanizes them because it means that we can't see their vulnerability. You don't have to feel confident all the time, but it can really help if you portray yourself as confident. And so let me show you some ways in which this can manifest. So here we have an infographic showing reasons why men and women didn't apply for a job. If you have a look at the first and the third reasons, um, if you look at the difference between men and women who answered this. So the first one says, I didn't think they would hire me because I didn't meet the qualifications, so I didn't want to waste my time and energy. So some women, 40%, 46% of men said that that was a reason why they didn't apply for the job. And then if you look at the third reason, I didn't think they would hire me since I didn't meet the qualifications and I didn't want to put myself out there if I was likely to fail. 12% of men, but 21% of women. And the difference there is confidence, right? So I didn't want to waste my time and energy. And I didn't want to put myself out there if I was likely to fail. 
shows really starkly that difference in self-confidence. And Sheryl Sandberg, for all of the critique of her work, says a quote that says, um, women systematically underestimate their own abilities. And so what I often tell people is overestimate your ability, because if you're systematically underestimating it, in order to kind of overcompensate, bring yourself back to a realistic kind of standing, overestimate how good you are um, and then then you'll probably be be accurate in your estimations a crazy stat 57 percent of men negotiate their salary when they leave university and only seven percent of women do crazy and that is about self-confidence and feeling able to negotiate um, in in the workplace and then also men attribute their success to themselves as individuals and their skill, whereas women attribute it to other external factors around them. So I couldn't have done it without my team or uh, the stars just aligned and wasn't it lucky um, instead of saying, actually, yeah, that was me and my skill. And we see this play out in language as well, whether we intend it to or not, our language can cause us to come across as less competent or confident. And sometimes we don't even realise that we're doing it. Um, so sometimes we show tentativeness through putting the word just in sentences. So I just wanted to check in and see or I just think that. And think about the difference between someone saying I just want to check in and see and I wanted to check in and see or the difference between I just think, or I think, it's really subtle but significant in how confident you're coming across. Similarly, we often express doubt in our sentences saying, does that make sense? Or am I making sense? Um, and I used to do this all the time and we do it with good intentions because we want to check in with the other people around um, to make sure that we've been clear and they, they get what we're saying. But the problem is, is that it, it implies that you think that you've been incoherent when you might not have been at all and then finally people use qualifiers all the time so I'm not I'm not an expert but um, and this can undermine your position before you've even stated your opinion um, and is something that women do at a far higher frequency than men in in same sort of meetings um, about this so the key with language is not to wait until you're confident enough to stop using this sort of language, but actually you can alter your language first and then it will give off the confidence and assertiveness that you might actually have, but your language could be undermining you in a way that you don't notice. So again, I'm going to give you one minute uh, to come up with the ends to these sentences for yourself. Um, and I'm going to ask you to say them out loud to yourself confidently and without hesitation, no ums, no qualifiers. If you start to say it hesitantly, repeat it. And you have to like pretend you're Lizzo, feeling good as hell, um, and deliver it with assertiveness and conviction. And it'll feel really uncomfortable. It's going to feel arrogant, but it will start to change the way that your brain perceives yourself um, and you can trick it into believing what you're saying. So, for example, for me, I would say I like who I am because I am empathetic and passionate. I am really good at writing blogs and articles. An achievement that I've had in the past has been being elected into office by 18,000 students. And I've been told that I am a good public speaker. So I'm going to give you one minute to think of your answers and say them out loud, confidently and assertively. 
I'm sure that felt super weird and awkward, but essentially they're just affirmations. Um, and the more you say them psychologically, the more you'll start to subconsciously believe them and it changes how you view yourself, how you hold yourself and how you present yourself. So finally then, the last predictive factor is network. Um, so we had attitudes and self-confidence that are things that broadly concern us as individuals, but the role that your immediate community and network also has a crucial role to play um, on your leadership emergence and also your leadership success. So because of the dominance of men in senior positions in society, they are often well-networked and well-connected with each other. So the old boys network refers to the social and business connections of predominantly privately educated white men. Um, a report by the Equality and Human Rights Commission found that nearly a third of the UK's biggest companies largely rely on their personal networks to identify new board members. And when those companies are populated largely by men already and they're looking for the right fit candidate, which often means just looking for someone who looks and sounds like themselves, that cycle of unconscious bias ensues. And it's often those people, those same kinds of people that are filling all of those positions. But it's useful for those men to have that network because it gets them into those places. Um, I'm sure you've seen news coverage of the COVID like PPE contracts and who those contracts went to. And it's largely the personal and social and political networks of um, senior male politicians in the UK government. So a prime example of how that network acts. It's also important to highlight, I think, something called the myth of scarcity. Here, So uh, the myth of scarcity tells us that there's only room for a few women as leaders at the top um, and it causes women to compete with each other at a much harder, faster rate than men competing with each other. So when really actually what we need to be doing is building each other up, it's men that benefit from this myth of scarcity because it causes us to tear each other down and to compete um, when actually there is room for all of us. And I was chatting to someone about this session recently and about networking and how important networking is to build that network. And they said to me, I hate networking, have always been bad at it. And then I realized it was false networking that I was crap at. I've hundreds of colleagues across the years, tons of them women who I lean on, who lean on me, who share ideas and raise me up. Most of my clients are women. Most of my work support network are women. And I feel like a lot of our leadership comes from that. And so I thought that was an amazing little uh, paragraph that just shows when we think of networking, we sometimes think of like contrived, false and pressurized sort of schmoozing. And um, it feels really disingenuous. But actually, this is just about who you surround yourself with um, and who helps you on your journey, both professionally and personally. So with that in mind, then the final minute task, uh, I'm going to ask you to do three things or at least plan to do three things. Number one, send a text to a woman in your life, um, celebrating who she is and encouraging her out the blue randomly. Number two, send a message to a woman who you don't know particularly well but would relish a conversation with, whether that's because you like their work, you want to find more about their career journey, or you just think they're a brilliant person, um, and reach out for coffee with them, like a virtual coffee, you know, put it in for half an hour so that if 
the conversation is awkward you can get out after half an hour um but just put yourself out there uh because people love to help other people so think of someone you admire ask them for coffee and then thirdly send a message to a woman who might be at an earlier stage uh on their journey than you whom you might be able to help out with opportunities or advice um and check in with them and see how you can be of help to them so that you're helping their network as well. So I'm gonna give you a minute to do those things. You're well on your way to uh, building and strengthening your network if you've managed to do those three things. So there we have it, uh, three tangible things that you can actively and intentionally nurture to support you on your journey into leadership, whatever that might look like for you, whether that's traditional leadership or trailblazing in your own way on your own terms attitude, envisaging ourselves in that position, using our role models, self-confidence, so the way that we view ourselves, the way that we speak, the way that we hold ourselves, and network, building up a community around us that can support us and guide us um, on our own respective journeys. That brings me to the end of my presentation. Thank you so much for having me. Please do reach out to me on Twitter if you would like to. I'd love to follow some of you and continue the conversation. Um, and feel free to check out a podcast that I have called Rise Up. Um, it's on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It has about seven episodes, all interviewing various different women in different fields and sectors about their journeys. What an interesting and inspiring session with some key thoughts not just for women but for everyone. Eve hosts her own podcast called Rise Up, which we'll link to in our show notes if you want to hear more from Eve. And with that, we wrap up the first season of the Student Global Leadership Podcast Series. But stay tuned for more podcasts from FIE around leadership, study abroad, internships and best practices. But for now... A fond farewell from all of us here at FIE. FIE, we're here to help you unlock a wider, brighter future. <laughs>